What's up, Katie? Hey, Jesse. You know, I've had sort of a traumatic week. Can we talk about it for a second? Whoa, trauma. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I was suspended from Twitter this week. What? Did you did you plan another school shooting? <laughs> Worse. I made a joke about Mitch McConnell dying. Oh, no. Let me tell you what happened. Okay, so as you might have heard, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the beloved RBG passed away this week. Wait, what? I know. I know. It's shocking. Can you believe an 87-year-old woman who has had cancer five times died? I thought she was like, nine, oh, she's only 87. I, I had pegged her as older. Uh, but anyway. She was a youthful 87. Well, she unfortunately passed away. And in the immediate aftermath, you know, a lot of people on Twitter were like very upset. And I, understandably, because this means that, you know, Donald Trump is going to be able to choose another Supreme Court justice. Lots of implications. Well, no, no, because remember Merrick Garland, they set that principle that if it's an election year, you wait. So they're just going to wait. Right. Sure, sure. Okay. So I was thinking about that and I wanted to bring some levity to the situation. So in the immediate aftermath of her death, I tweeted, all we can hope for in times like these is that Mitch McConnell has a stroke from laughing too hard. And the joke here is about how is about, you know, Mitch McConnell and his abject hypocrisy when it came to Barack Obama's, uh, you know, Supreme Court nominee. And then now this is happening and we know he's going to push it through. And then I followed it up just to make sure people were clear that it was a joke. I followed it up. I said, well, you know what? I can't actually read it because I had to delete it. But what I said was something like, you know, people started to get mad about the tweet. And so I said, for everybody who's mad about this tweet, I like, I don't want the guy to die. I just want him to be brain dead for a while. I'm not a monster. <laughs> and the joke, of course, is the last part of it. I feel like I feel now obligated to explain this because people don't seem to know what jokes are. So the joke was the last part of the tweet, which was, I'm not a monster because I said something really monstrous. And then I said, I'm not a monster. So in my eyes, the, the, the butt of the joke was me. Plus the fact is that I actually do want him to be brain dead. So that part wasn't actually the joke. The, the joke, the joking part was about being a monster. I thought it was big, it was pretty funny. Anyway, people didn't like this. Really didn't like this. I lost like hundreds of followers, which was sort of disappointing. I think we might have lost some patrons over this, which was really disappointing. Um, but people didn't people didn't appreciate it, which I sort of understand. Like jokes about people dying aren't funny, apparently. Even if the butt of the joke wasn't actually Mitch McConnell, it was myself. So. This got reported on, quote unquote, reported on by, by like some conservative outlets who apparently didn't realize I was joking. Maybe because when somebody said your joke isn't funny, I said, well, that's because it's not a joke, which was also, <laughs> also, I maintain part of the joke, part of the joke, but they were confused. So some places, some outlets wrote about this, like, I think one, like the Daily Caller or no, the Daily, what, one of the dailies, Daily Caller, Daily Wire, something like that wrote about it. Some other outlet wrote about it, like PJ Media or something like this. And so, um, so people were mass reporting my tweet. And I actually ended up getting suspended from Twitter for 12 hours for this. But so before that happened, I started getting emails from people, like someone, you know, said that I would like, wrote that I was like a horrible person and a cunt. And I said, you know, you should, if you think that was bad, you should see my cuties tweets. <laughs> um, but so, so, so in the aftermath of like getting all of these angry emails from people, um, I tweeted, you know, people were like calling from my head. They wanted me to get fired. So on like the day, a- the day after I tweeted, I-, I don't know if you saw this one, but here's what I said. Woke up to emails from people who are mad about a few jokes I posted last night and are threatening to get me fired. Let me make it easy for you. 
My boss is named Jesse Single, and he can be reached at jessiersingle at gmail.com. I didn't know, I didn't know you did that. I, I had <laughs> so, no idea you did that. Seriously. Okay. So that's my question for you. Did you get any emails? No, because people's fucking uh, outrage is so shallow. I mean, it's the same whenever people get mad about anything. They they're, they tweet as though they've never been so offended, but they won't even open a fucking email browser. No, I got no emails about this. We did lose one patron was like, unsubscribe because of your joke so you owe me five five dollars <laughs> times 12 months you owe me 60 dollars you can bed me for i mean i'm surprised you only want to do it 60 dollars it could just be five dollars a month for in perpetuity you owe for me a million dollars for the mitch mcconnell yeah. joke well i have to say i'm disappointed that not a single person i mean i put your your email is publicly available it's on your bio so some people said that i doxed you i didn't actually dox you it's the email in your bio <laughs> <laughs> you, doxed, you doxed me jesus yeah you doxed me by giving him I mean, that was obnoxious of you, but I, you must have known that your your haters are very lazy. It turns out the right wing ones are just as lazy as the left wing ones. I mean, the left wing ones at least they make stickers. The right one, the right wing they ones stickers, can't, even, yeah. can't even be bothered to email my boss. Yeah, your boss. <laughs> like, are you? I'm literally making as conscious an effort as possible to stay off of Twitter and away from bullshit, and just wrote me like lasso me back in. But uh, yeah, I got zero zero emails about that. This is the brilliant part of you being off Twitter is that I can say whatever I want about you and you won't notice. I tweeted about you all last week. I think my best tweet about you. Oh, here it is. Here, This was a good one. You guys don't know this, but Jesse is actually really funny. I just edit his jokes out of the podcast. It's <laughs> kind of true. <laughs> 239 likes. Um well, I'm sorry to hear that uh, cancel culture has afflicted you once again. 12, 12 hours without Twitter sounds yeah. pretty amazing to me, I got to say, but uh, I hope you're able to survive. I did survive. I, I, I texted my family and I said, you know, I was suspended from Twitter for making an innocent joke about one of the most powerful men in the world, Mitch McConnell, having a stroke. And my You were mom, punching up. I was, I, exactly. I was you, were stro- up. you were stroking up. I was. And my mom responded, it's worth it. So I have the support of my family. Okay. Anyone who wants to get in contact with Katie's mom, her email address is... <laughs> JessieRcycle at gmail.com. Um, yeah. But the 12 hours off did actually give me some chance to do some homework. So I have spent this entire week preparing for this podcast that we're going to do today. I read an almost thousand page book for the podcast. And we're going to get into that in a little while. But first of all, we should probably say what, what podcast people are listening to. Jesse. This is Blocked and Reported. I am Jesse Single, the guy whose jokes get edited out. And I am Katie Herzog, the one who edits Jesse's jokes out of the podcast, so you think I'm funnier than him. That, the 9-11 joke I had last week was brilliant. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> it was almost as good as your joke about ranking the uh, the cuties girls by hotness, which I did actually get an email about. Somebody did appreciate it. Oh, so you left that in. I did leave that in. It was a good joke. I never listen to the podcast. Um, okay, yeah. So what are we – okay, we're talking about JK. Are, are, we have so many more British listeners than I thought or than I want, frankly. <laughs> and they keep saying we say uh, rolling when it's rowling. No, no, no. Opposite. Oh, we say rowling. Fuck. It's rolling. Like bowling. Oh, rolling. I'm sorry. Rolling. Like rolling a bowling ball at the queen or something. Yes. It is rolling. JK rolling the bowling. Uh, Joe. Her name is Joe. I think we're on first name. I think we can call her Joe. Yeah. She's a 
we're all on the same side politically, you know, with our hatred of gender nonconforming people. Should we talk about her first or the other thing first? It's your, your decision. Let's talk about the other thing first. And this will be sort of a, I think this is what you call foreshadowing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk about something else first, and then we're going to come back to Joe, um, Joe Rowling, close personal friend of the podcast. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, just podcast production. We're going to talk about this other thing. <laughs> Okay, wait. The other thing in question is a little film called TFW No GF. For those who don't speak internet, that means that feel when no girlfriend or that feeling when no girlfriend. A feeling that you are very familiar with, Jesse. Yeah, historically I've had I've had some experience with that, I, I have to admit. Um Okay, so there's sort of a lot to unpack here. This is one of those pieces of art that is destined to destroy the internet for multiple reasons. So it's a film that was supposed to be released as part of Sundance. Uh, Sundance got destroyed along with everything else by COVID. The film was available for, I think, 10 days on Amazon Prime in April. Um, the director is a woman named Alex Lee Moyer. Um, so she, right off the bat, Alex Lee Moyer is a little bit controversial. She's like someone who is, you know, she has, has friends with sort of Right-wing internet types, we'll get into one of them shortly. She was on Alex Jones and sort of celebrated that fact, which is definitely a no-no in many circles. Understandably so, Alex Jones. Would you do Alex Jones? No, absolutely no. no, I wouldn't, would you? Well, I mean, I do have some vitamins I want to (laughs) sell. Yeah, we never we need i have all these boxes of supplements that i'm going to stamp with the blocked and reported uh logo yes that'll be the next um our next effort to diversify our income stream will be selling blocked and reported supplements and that covid vaccine we're working on right right so you're right so right off the bat she's she's not that well-known a figure but she was controversial in part because the alex jones thing in part because she has sort of you know, right-wing and and anarcho-libertarian friends. One of those friends is listed as a producer on the movie, helped fund it. His name is Cody Wilson. This is a colorful guy. (laughs) He founded a website called Hatreon. Uh, Patreon had had kicked off some alt-right people. So he launched Hatreon, uh, which he said was just sort of like the only ethos of this website was that they would never ban people for for speech. As you would expect, neo-Nazi types quickly set up shop there. Patreon itself got shut down, I guess, by Visa. I, I tried to, I was trying to remind myself of what it was. So I tried to go there earlier. It got shut down. Cody Wilson was. You tried to go and support some neo Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to check in with credit card. Hundreds of dollars of pledges a month just going into the ether. Uh, and Cody Wilson also was infamous because he wanted to upload 3d printed gun plans to the internet the feds got involved that guy guy. did he actually successfully do that i believe not i believe the court stepped in i'm actually not as familiar with this part of the story like it's the kind of thing where at some point someone will just upload these files and they'll be there forever if they aren't already uh he also through a sugar daddy website i shouldn't laugh this is horrible he was convicted of of uh, a form of sexual assault he had apparently consensual with money involved sex with a 16 year old uh ended up getting convicted of that he's on probation for a long time he didn't go to jail so this is one of the films was she uh was she mature for her age (laughs) jesus christ oh katie 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 i wish you'd stick to mitch mitch mcconnell's stroke jokes okay so getting all that out of the way about who's behind the film um the film is basically just a lo-fi 
documentary about these these five sort of internet loser types, all of them disillusioned young men, all of them who spend time on places like 4chan, post really provocative, irony-soaked stuff to Twitter that sometimes gets, like, violent. I'd say their posts are much more about their own despair. Uh, TFW No GF is just like, it's not just about not having girlfriends or being an incel, an involuntary celibate who can't have sex. Everyone's now at pinning this as, like, an incel film. It's not really that. Like, uh, I was communicating with one of the filmmakers. He pointed out, like, incel was barely a word when they started working on this in 2017. It's really just about these disaffected men who find community and self-loathing on 4chan. 4chan is this internet message board where people post horrific stuff, but this one particular board they mention is sort of a confessional board. If you're a young man, doesn't have a girlfriend, living the neat lifestyle, N-E-E-T, that means you're not in employment, education, or training. You're not employed. You're not in education. You're not in any sort of training. You're living at home with your mom. You're a podcaster, pretty much. You're a podcaster. Uh, You just post about your plight. And and these young men who are often portrayed as angry and as threats, and obviously in some cases are, like Elliot Roger, really what's at the core of them is a tremendous amount of self-loathing that is sort of amplified by the internet because these are communities where you weirdly in a weird mirror image thing to a lot of social justice spaces you get points for talking about how pathetic and bad your life is that's how you sort of gain a certain amount of of credibility right yeah and elliot roger for people who might not remember um he he shot up uc santa barbara a few years ago um, yes Killed a bunch of people, injured a bunch, and he was someone yeah. who had, had wrote this deranged manifesto about how he could never get girls. Yeah, which, um, the, like, I'm sure that he couldn't get girls. He probably had a horrible personality. But I gotta say, Elliot Rogers was attractive. <laughs> he was. He was. Okay, you know what? I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. It's true. You look at him and you, he does not look like a, a someone who's helpless around uh Girls. That's true. No, he, he really doesn't. It's uh, it, it's you just you don't see him as like somebody who would not be able to get laid because he's very cute. Was very right. cute. So la- last week we ranked the cuties kids for hotness. <laughs> this week we'll do mass shooters. This is just what this podcast is becoming at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Well, I mean, before I talk more about it, there were some points I wanted to hit, but uh, I sensed when we were talking about it beforehand, you maybe didn't like the movie as much as I did. What what did you think of it? Uh, so it wasn't that I didn't like the movie. It was that I didn't learn a lot from the movie. And I think the movie, like the movie describes a phenomenon that's very real. I don't think the phenomenon is new by any means. What's new is, is the outlet that, that these guys have, you know, 4chan, the internet, not even that new, but the sort of disaffected, um, bored child, adolescent, uh, young adult is not a new story at all. This is the reality bites story, just more pathetic because it's online um but i just i didn't watching the movie i didn't feel like i really learned a lot about these guys and i didn't like i expected to feel more sympathy for them um maybe because of the the like controversy around the movie which we're going to talk about in a moment i expected like a lot of people hate this movie so i'm probably gonna like it (laughs) not probably a good rubric to go through to go by um but i didn't i didn't feel like i i learned a whole lot about why these guys are so depressed and that's what they are is mostly depressed and alone um about sort of the, the the outside forces here like at one point one of them says like you know, I dropped out of school or I failed ninth grade and then I dropped out and sort of just like disappeared from society. And he's mad. He says, I was I, like, I'm mad because the, the, the bill of goods, the 
uh, that was sold to me wasn't real. And I'm thinking, like, wh- what bill of goods? Like, who right. told you that your life was going to be great? Well, I, I think – so this this gets us nicely into the controversy because the – at certain points in the film, um, there's a lot of shots of these guys just wandering around sort of burnt out American landscapes. You know, you have sort of industrial parts of the northwest. You have uh, – I think El Paso is where this one kid is, you know, abandoned lots and stuff. And one of the movie's arguments is that what's giving rise to this phenomenon is the stuff that's happened since the 2008 recession. And I – I am sympathetic. If the if the argument is, uh, I mean, this is the argument is like we were told if we worked hard and we went to college, things would work out. That is not true for a lot of people in America. We have a pretty messed up economic system that is sometimes sort of um, disguised by like you know the stock market or unemployment appears to be low. And this is so. What caused the controversy was Jacobin, which is a, a left wing outlet that is. You know, at times a little contrarian, a little bit anti sort of identity politics or identitarianism. They did a review of this film basically talking about the economic side of it. And and the review didn't excuse like these guys bad and offensive posts, but it says like, look, part of this is a sense of hopelessness, of disconnection. So people like I think the the actual thing was launched when Jill Filipovich, who's a, a well-known and respected feminist writer, she quote retweeted a Jacobin tweet and said Misogynist and racist incels are actually just economically insecure. Sure, this is fine. Then in parentheses, it's not fine. It's disgusting. So that's that's sort of like those are the battle lines. Like, do you do you empath- think she's seen the movie? No, I don't. I, I, I mean, don't think she has. It's either. not. It's not even available. I mean, you. I I was contacted by a filmmaker who gave me access to a screener. You can find it online if you look. Um, but it's also like the guys like race doesn't really come up in the movie. It's like when they do say something offensive, it's draped in so many layers of irony that it's clear they're just doing it for like attention, which I understand. Like if someone makes an anti-Semitic joke and is like, I'm just doing it for attention, I'm sort of like, fuck you. But if you actually want to understand what they're saying and what their ideology is in as much as they have them. Um, so, so Jill sort of. I think reignited what had already been some controversy over this film with that. And then the other side of that was captured by, um, uh, so Glenn Greenwald then screen capped her and said a core liberal left principle for decades is we shouldn't just denounce people who do bad things, criminals, terrorists, etc., but try to understand the underlying social causes, both to understand it intellectually and improve our ability to fix it. Seems that's out too. And then colon to Jill's tweet. Um, I'm sympathetic to that. Like, I, I, what's the argument against trying to understand weirdos online, a small fraction of whom turn into school shooters or whatever? I, I think the there's no good argument against it. I think the argument that I've been seeing against it is you like you shouldn't platform these people. Um, but that I don't think most of the people have seen the movie because while this is like sort of a sympathetic portrayal of them, it doesn't lionize them at all. And it doesn't even no. really make them seem like victims, I don't think. And and the the fact remains, so the the four I guess it's four people who the who the film profiles I think it's five, a set of brothers five. and then three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um the bro- we can count the brothers as one. Um <laughs> They uh none of them have done anything that bad. I mean they're like they po- they like shit post online and actually I thought the most interesting part of the film this is local this is a local story to me and somehow I hadn't heard of it which made me feel ex- incredibly ashamed of my uh, apparently I'm not online enough or not watching the local news enough because two of these brothers they live outside Seattle in a suburb outside Seattle and um when the movie Joker came out they're into guns. 
Yeah. And they have these, you know, like assault rifles or assault style rifles or whatever they are. And when the movie Joker came out and there was all this dialogue about probably from lots of the same people sort of complaining about Joker because Joker um, was a sympathetic portrayal of basically an incel of somebody who couldn't get laid, somebody who, who was, um, you know, cast out of society. Um, well, the one of them posed with these with these two guns and the caption was two tickets to Joker, please, which is. <laughs> Like really funny. It's, it's like really fucked funny. up, but it's really funny. Yeah. So, but, but this like his guns got taken away by like the local authorities. Um, and they were later returned to him because he was able to, to like prove that or that uh, prove he was able to argue that this was satire and this was protected under the first amendment. But right. if you, you know, if you had, if you were not, you know, steeped in the internet, um, if you just came across that, I could see how it would, you could perceive this as a threat. But if you yeah. are, then you see that this is, this could also just as easily be what it, what he says that it is, which is a, sort of a satire. Um, and like actually a pretty funny though fucked up post. Um, yeah, so his guns got taken away and, and, you know, in return to him. And it, somehow I hadn't heard about that story living in the Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah, but other than that, like that was the most, I think sort of terrible thing that any of these guys are. Well, one, no, one of them also said they wanted to like punch women right. really hard or so. Like I, that was a really fucked up, like just post. But, but it's know, all again, post, yeah. right? But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, it's all posting. It's not actually, as far as I know, and maybe that maybe some of these guys have been, um, you know, accused of like actual real life harm against people. If they were, that wasn't in the movie and that, sh- you know, should have been, but I have no reason to yeah. think that they were, but it's just posting. Right. Um, so it's not, it's not actual, they're not, as far as we know, none of these guys are Elliot Rogers. And there's this other thing that happens where, uh, spoiler alert here, some of them sort of end up okay in the end. And, and other movies I've seen about this or other things I've heard about, like Reply All did a, a show a couple years ago about sort of the birth of it, the rise of the birth of incel culture. The term, it turns out, it was actually coined by a woman. And a lot of people kind of just grow out of it. You know, they're yeah. like awkward adolescents and then they just get older and they like meet someone, they meet a woman who likes them and it's fine. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be this like, I'm sure for some pe- some people, if they like hold on to their incel identity too hard, they get stuck with it. But for a lot of these guys, they just sort of age out of this um, this sort of adolescent I, behavior. Yeah, I hate to say this, and look, there were there were uh, there was a Toronto, I think, Van Attack. There was Elliot Roger. Although I'm not sure how widespread incel was as a term when Roger did it, there's been a little bit of a media moral panic about incels in the grand scheme of things to worry about in America. Like these, these are not highly functional people. I think the average person who's like deeply into this community is, is frankly much more likely to die from opioids or suicide than to hurt someone else. I'm not saying that like we shouldn't respond to legitimate threats the way we should from any other fucked up community, but there was a little bit of like a, a so-called blue check fixation on incels that I'm not sure was entirely warranted. Right. You know, th- at the same time that I think some of these same people would say like just because like one Muslim c- commits an act of terror doesn't mean that you condemn the whole the whole religion or yeah. everybody who's in this religion would also at the same time say like, oh, that guy's an incel, therefore he's violent, which is not fair. Um, there have been these isolated, these isolated and, and horrific acts by, you know, a couple of guys, but mostly these are losers online and i I think that's worth exploring because why are people disconnected you know and i don't i don't think it's purely economic at all i think there's a lot of lots of other things going on here the internet 
being maybe a cause, not just a, not just an outlet, but a cause of this disconnection from people. You know, I mean, it's not just incels who aren't getting laid. Like the rates of, of young people having sex is lower than it has been in generations and not just because of COVID. Um, something is happening and this, this phenomenon is a part of it. Um, and it should be explored. Yeah. And it's all connected even like bowl, the whole bowling alone thesis. Um, yeah. Of, of just generation or decades of people feeling less like they're part of a community, less likely to go to church or, or a union hall. There's just people in America are more and more isolated. And this is one of many manifestations of that. Right. Like how many people do you know who like actually go out, go to church on Sunday and then go play in a softball league who are our age? You know, I'm guessing it's yeah. very few. Yeah. So I guess like I just look, I it's very hard to tell a normie like, oh, when that guy made the joke about shooting up a movie theater, he was just kidding. But they, these there is a style to this type of humor and discourse that I think is worth understanding. It's like a, I find it boring after a while, just the nihilism and watching this film helped me understand some of the interactions I've had with like, mostly like fans of Chapo Trap House. Um, they, they just have like a terrible online fandom that is like very aggressively nihilistic, always just trying to sort of humiliate people and be as edgelordy as possible. This stuff is like, it's often ugly. Some people, this style can be funny, but yeah, I, I overall, I thought the film was a pretty interesting, um, unpacking of this, this style of discourse and this, it's not even a movement. These are just, just schmucks online trying to find some form of companionship. And at, at times, the way they talk about loneliness, I thought was pretty poignant. I think they're human beings. Um, I guess the one thing I want to ask you that I feel like you'd be more sympathetic than me to this. One of them said something like, you know, if you're a guy, no one really cares if you're lonely or disconnected. People don't give a shit. He was implying that it's easier to be a girl who's lonely and disconnected. I, I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure where he got that idea. But I feel like you're more sympathetic to the idea that men sometimes have it worse. Oh, well, I think the way that we talk about men's issues, if we want to call it that, versus women's issues are maybe different. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, loneliness is loneliness. I wouldn't say it would be worse or better if you're male or female. Um, there, there is, so one of these guys, Kantbot, he, so there's this guy, he, uh, I guess he went viral in like 2016 because he was, he went to some like political rally and he said something about Trump, like ushering like a new ideal for German idealism or something like that. And he's this sort of wannabe, you know, pundit philosopher. And there's this moment where he's talking about how sort of aggrieved he is and how he, you know, he like, he's like, you know, I want to be a writer, but like you have to have an agent and like, yeah, like you want people to like care about you and have like tens of thousands of people reading your work and, and listening to what you say, but like it'll never happen. And I was watching that and I was like, oh my God, like I'm living this guy's dream. <laughs> I'm living the incel dream and I don't appreciate it enough. No, we still have so much to complain about. I know. It's like, I have a fucking agent and I don't do anything because I don't feel like it. It's got nothing, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with a lack of outlets. It has everything to do with just my lazy, lazy personality. You're basically a married female incel. I am. I'm, I do you have shoot like, you don't shoot guns though. You know, not yet. Not yet. That might be next. Who knows? But I do post, you know, apparently problematic jokes and maybe somebody will take away my computer because of it. At some point, the the eventual fate of Blotchin Report is definitely some sort of federal investigation. Like, <laughs> do, 
dudes in those yellow jackets just carrying out hard drives. <laughs> show show us the, show us the spreadsheet where you rate the cuties kids. You know you know what it'll be it'll be because we were not. It'll depend on who wins the election. It'll be either Trump will come investigate us because we said that he shouldn't be investigating critical race theory, or Biden will come investigate us because we said that Robin D'Angelo is a grifter. Exactly, <laughs> proving once again that nobody has more genuine and pressing grievances in the two of us exactly do you have anything else to say about tfw no gf when's it how are people able to watch this when's it coming out what's the apparently they're like raising i i was communicating with one of the filmmakers he said it'll be available soon ish they're working on something i didn't fully get it if you are internet savvy and poke around there are copies posted online i will leave it at that i i thought it was a good film i'm also just averse to these like there is this thing as perhaps i mean we'll see what you have to say about the jk uh rolling novel where people just like freak out about stuff they they either didn't watch or see or barely bothered to like grapple with so i'm i'm I think a little bit reflexively sympathetic to any piece of media that comes under this sort of scrutiny. I didn't think this was like the best film ever. I, I thought it was interesting. I do think if you don't understand these internet communities, you will learn from it. Maybe yeah. you and I are already too deep into that. We're too, we're too incel to learn anything from it. Yes, exactly. Too, too incel. Um, okay. That's uh, TFW No GF. It'll be event available eventually and I'll link to some of the commentary on it. Um, so we're, we're moving on to our honorary third co-host, someone whose, whose own beliefs line up a hundred percent with ours in every way. Uh, that is JK Rowling, right? Yeah. Our fellow open letter signer. Um, we all got together and <laughs> yes. signed an open letter together. And the, the open letter was stating that, uh, little girls should always have long hair. <laughs> and little boys can only wear blue. Okay, so yep. J.K. Rowling, Rowling, right? J.K. Rowling is out with a new book. I have no idea how this woman manages to produce as much as she does. I'm going to guess she is not a weed smoker. Um, so this one is called Troubled Blood, and I have spent the last week doing almost nothing but reading this book because it is so long. It is something like 900, 944 pages or something like that. Don't expect, don't expect me to ever put that much effort into one episode. By the way, I just want, or not even one episode, one segment. I just want to be – I'm worried this is going to shift our respective expectations for workload. So I just want to be clear about that. I mean I know I, I probably shouldn't complain about the fact that my homework was reading a detective novel all week. But <laughs> indeed, it was quite a bit of work. Um, so the reason I decided to read this book was because – so it was released on September 15th. And uh, a couple days before it was released, there was, an, there was a review of it in the British publication The Telegraph. And it's a it's a really small review, and I'm going to read you the line that changed everything. Oh, and this, this is released under under her uh, pen name Robert Galbraith, right? Right. So her name. So this is uh, this is uh, it's the Cormoran Strike series. She 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 basically she writes detective novels under uh, under a pseudonym Robert Galbraith. So this review was published in the Telegraph, and it was by Jake Kittredge. It sounds like a very British name. Also kind of sounds like a pseudonym, but I don't think it is. Okay, so it's a very short review. It's like four or five paragraphs. And I'm going to read you a paragraph. The meat of the book is the investigation into a cold case. The disappearance of G.P. Margot Bamborough in 1974, thought to have been a victim of Dennis Creed, a transvestite serial killer. One wonders what critics of Rowling's stance on trans issues will make of a book whose moral seems to be, never trust a man in a dress. Okay. So that those two sentences right here became 
a led to, I would say, a like crazy pile on of this book. Because what happened is that Pink News, the crack uh, media outlet that we have talked about before, wh- why did we what we covered? They said there was an international cabal of, of gender critical lesbians sexually abusing someone, right? That's right. So Pink News is the outlet that published these allegations that there. You know were, what's, there's what's an- incredible is I, the p- thought that this jumped into my head was things were so much simpler back in May. When Pink News told that story about the sex abusing, oh god, things have gotten so much worse. Anyway, sorry. I know, yeah, that one, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so back in the good old days, Pink, Pink News was making wild allegations against like British lesbians. Um, okay, so after uh, the, the Telegraph published this review, Pink News um, published their own review based on this review, and the the tweet that that accompanied this review is J.K. Rowling's latest book is about a murderous cis man who dresses as a woman to kill his victims. Okay, so if you read this review, and as well as a review in the Daily Beast that is entitled, How Transphobic is J.K. Rowling's New Novel, Trouble Blood? Very. Um, and that one is by a woman named Laura Bradley. Uh, what you come away with... Can I, wait, can I make it? Sure. Oh, sorry, can I just make a prediction real yes. quick? Yes. I bet these reviews accurately captured the full novel and our good faith reading. Oh, so just sure. listeners keep that in the back of your head. Go I ahead. am pretty sure that neither of the authors actually read the book before they published it. Um, which is, it's, I, I know that the pink news one didn't because it was just cribbed from this one line in the spectator piece. The daily beast review is a lot more, is a lot longer and it has a lot more information, but I still don't think that the author actually read the book because she gets some like details of the book very wrong, like who the killer is. Um, so <laughs> really, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I emailed Wait, who's her. The, who's the author of the Who's the author of the Daily Beast one? Laura Bradley. And when you go to the okay. page, so like you know how there there's those like uh, not banner, but there's like ads in the middle of a of a of a of a piece, and it'll say like read this other read this other connected thing. So yeah. the Laura Bradley, the other the the like advertisement in the middle of this piece is a piece by Laura Bradley called J.K. Rowling and Other Rich Fools Cancel Cancel Culture. So we know where where Laura Bradley stands on on J.K. Rowling. Um, rolling, come on. Rolling, sorry. Anti-British. Excuse me, that was anti-British. I, I, uh, I. Dead, you just slapped I, the queen in the face. I dead named her. Um, <laughs> so I emailed Laura Bradley this morning and I asked her if she's actually read read the book before she wrote this. <laughs> I didn't hear back. Um, I don't think I'm going to hear back. Um, if she does, uh, does uh, if she does, write me back and let me know. We will update this update this podcast with an answer. Um, but I don't. My suspicion is that. She hasn't read the book. The book is incredibly long. It takes a long time to read. I ordered it last week. It came uh, last Friday. This is It's a week later. I have done almost nothing but read this book, and I just finished it this morning. Okay, so after the Telegraph review comes out, this goes wild over the internet. People have extrapolated from this one line um, that, that the author Jake Critchridge wrote, never trust a man in a dress, that the plot of the book is about like a trans killer, that that's the story, right? This goes totally wild. All of a sudden, like RIP JK Rowling, JK Rowling is, is, is trending on Twitter. People are literally burning her books. I hope they paid for them first before they burn them, which is sort of the hilarious part, but people are burning her books. Not this one probably because they probably didn't have it yet, but they're burning Harry Potter books and her other books, posting the video online. Um, and so it just becomes this narrative, the idea that she has published an incredibly transphobic book based on this one line in this one review. So. 
there's another review, and this one is in The Spectator by a guy named Nick Cohen. And Nick Cohen, unlike almost everybody else who seems to have written about this book, actually read the book. And so I read Nick Cohen's review, and Nick Cohen's review makes it sound like like the the cross-dressing transvestite transgender killer is like a very minor character in this book. So I'm going to read you I'm going to read you a little bit of his review. You have to search hard to find a justification for the belief that the book's moral seems to be never trust a man in a dress. But then relentless searches for the tiniest bit of evidence are the marks of heresy, heresy hunters. It amounts to this. On page 75, Strike is listening to the son of an investigative officer telling him what he knows about Creed. And Creed is this, is this, this dude who's in jail for murdering a bunch of women. Okay, so what I'm going to read next is a quote from the book. Penny Hiskett, she got away from him and gave them the police a description in 71, but that didn't help them much. She said he was dark and stocky because he was wearing a wig at the time and that all padded out in a women's club. That's it. All padded out in women's clothes, you said? In a women's coat. Oh, it's coat. Oh, coat. Okay, sorry. So the co-interview the, in The Spectator makes it seem like there's just this one like one paragraph, this one page that that says that this killer, when he was murdering victims, he would wear a woman's coat. And so I read the uh, I read the Spectator review. I read the Daily Beast review. I read the Telegraph review. And I really didn't know reading these three reviews what was true. Right. Is this book threaded through with with transphobia? Is the main character a transvestite or a cis man who takes advantage of, of you know, of our permissive culture or whatever, um, you know, to to kill women, um, which is true, right? So this is why I read the book to try to answer definitively the question, is Travel Blood by Robert Galbraith, aka Close Friend of the Podcast, J.K. Rowling, transphobic? Roll, <laughs> rolling. Rolling. Jesse, are you ready for the answer? Yes. No. <laughs> okay, so the reality is, there, so this book is extremely fucking long, 944 pages or something like that. There are more, there's more than one mention of, um, of this killer wearing women's clothes, but it's a really minor sort of plot line in the book. And the thing is, like, the killer in the book isn't, or not the killer in the book, the character in the book isn't, a, isn't trans, right? So he's a guy who has this sort of, he's sort of effeminate, um, uh, uh, women the idea is that women would trust him more because he's dressed like a woman and therefore they're they like can't tell that there's you know that this this biological male is is a woman because he's wearing women's clothes that just isn't really a very strong theme of the book it's not even really like you could if you blinked you would miss it that's how sort of minor this part of the book really is uh, the book does you can sort of read her politics into it a little bit like it's critical of some uh, um, aspects of of uh, maybe fourth wave. May- what what wave of feminism are we on now? But it's critical of the sort of slut walk feminism. Um, it's critical of, of 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 men, frankly. And J.K. Rowling, as we know from what she's written about her own life, she was in an abusive relationship. Her her, her first husband beat her, and she does. If you like, if you believe everything in the book is like a reflection of her her own life or her character, and I don't think that you can. I don't think it is, but if you did believe that, you would come away with it thinking like, oh, this woman like doesn't trust men. But you would also come away with it thinking this woman doesn't trust women either. Um, so it is not it is 
I would say that the book is not transphobic. Of course, I am predisposed to say that because I think my bar for transphobia is higher considering that I have been accused of transphobia. Um, but it just isn't there. But that didn't matter online because of this one line in the, in the, Telegraph review, this just went totally crazy. And so the narrative became J.K. Rowling writes transphobic book by people who have never read the fucking book, much like the narrative about TFW, no GF became this is, you know, excusing incel behavior is excusing misogyny by people who have never actually seen the movie. So, I mean, one of the things that caught my eyes was, um, isn't there, there's some mention of like the killer, getting off from wearing women's underwear what you know just the idea that that ties into the idea that that trans women are just fetishists or whatever is, is there something like that in the book so there is a part of the book yeah that um on page 80 so it's a it's uh it comes from um from a biography of this killer creed and he does say that he enjoys stealing women's underwear from neighborhood from neighbors washing lines and even from his grandmother then he enjoys wearing them in secret and masturbating them in them and so i had marked all of the passages in the book that i thought could be construed as transphobic and this one i have starred because i did feel like that was the one that would be possibly the most problematic um and it does sort of have a ring of 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 agp um should we explain to the good people what agp is oh god well yeah, autogynephilia is just, it's this theory that, um, a subset of trans women are motivated to transition because they are, they are sexually aroused, uh, at the idea of, of being a woman. The, in this theory, it's more about sexual arousal than identity. So it was incredibly controversial. There's all this backstory captured in Alice Drager's book, Galileo's Middle Finger. Maybe I'll just link to that into my review essay of it, which sort of got me into a lot of this stuff in the first place. But yeah, the short version is that, that she, Rowling, I think it is basically portraying, um, that could be seen as portraying a trans, would be trans woman who has a transition, who has autogynephilia, perhaps, which is something that the trans community, many people in it, uh, find offensive. Totally. So the thing is, the character in the book isn't actually transgender. Um, he might be a transvestite, but he, there's no sort of identity here. And the, the AGP thing, so this was, this typology was, was first, the term was coined by a clinician named Ray Blanchard. And when he, so this is a guy who worked with hundreds, maybe thousands of, um, of trans women. Was he in Canada? Uh, Blanchard, yes, is Canadian. Okay, so uh, all the all the all the the, fr the freaky sex research are coming out of like Canada <laughs> really for some are. reason, Toronto. Um, yeah. All right, so Blanchard came up with this typology, and at the time, so he basically okay, so he theorized after like hundreds and or maybe thousands of of conversations and interviews and and treating women and and helping women transition, helping them get access access to healthcare, that there were basically two types of of trans women, either extremely effeminate gay boys. And then you have the autogonophilias, uh, or autogonophiliacs, I suppose. Um, and that would be like, um, you know, someone who, who transitions typically later in life, um, typically more masculine, oftentimes were in the military, um, and typically would end up being romantically involved with women as opposed to the first type, which would more typically be romantically involved with men. And so this, at the time that Blanchard postulated this or, or put forth this theory, it really didn't, I don't think, made that many waves. It was like outside of, of sexology, outside of his field. It was really later, and this is what Alice Drager's book goes into, which everybody should read, 
it was really later um, after this guy Mike Bailey, who is another um, who's another sex researcher, wrote a book called "The Man Who Would Be Queen," a, a popular book that this became uh, like like very heated within the trans community. And there are people in the trans community who have who are very very against the idea of AGP. They don't want people to think that it exists. Um, and and Drager has a quote in her book. Sort of explaining this, and I don't can't remember the exact quote, but it's something about how activists wanting to move trans rights from the bedroom to the living room or the bedroom to the kitchen or something like that. If it's a kink, it makes it harder to argue for your own rights. That said, I know lots of people who identify as AGP who 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 will tell you this is yes, this is like it's part of my identity, but it also there there's this sexual element that is intrinsic within my desire to be a woman. Um, I have a good friend who's who's AGP and and is not shy about this. Um, so this is something that exists, but but there are people within the trans community who who don't like it. Yeah, well, yes, and so it's there's definitely people who find that that this is an explanation for who they are that that fits their internal experience. It's also like even some woke activists, trans and otherwise, like if you get them in an honest moment, they'll be like, yeah, it's a thing. Their problem is more uh, Blanchard's idea that all trans women fit in one of these two categories sure. or that the difference between being a trans woman and a trans man is totally different because this this typology doesn't apply to trans men at all. I don't think they like the idea that there's like these these important differences. So, yeah, it's um, it is. A- Did Blanchard work with trans with trans men? Do you know? That's a good question. There were, I think back then, there were way fewer trans men, but I believe most of his totally. work was with trans women. Right. And he, I think he's explicitly said, like, this stuff just doesn't apply to, to trans men. Right. And Blanchard, we should say, has been, like, canceled um, because of this, sort of, like, decades later. Oh, he's considered, like, like a, a almost Hitler-esque figure among some trans people and their allies he he has helped a lot of trans women transition he's written letters in support of them it's just his ideas are not sort of up to date with the current orthodoxy which is basically for most people something like if you're a trans man you're just a man born in the wrong body or a trans woman i'm oversimplifying a little and most people have much more sophisticated understandings of this than that but it's like what you're allowed to say out loud versus what people will say over beers at a bar Right, totally. Yeah, so that was the passage that I thought, like, okay, this is the one that's going to, um, like, this is the one that people are going to pull out and make this seem like this is this is a transphobic book, which I think. And and I will not to talk too much, but yeah, sorry. And and, and Rowling, there's no way she's writing this book not knowing what Anagynophilia is. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a subset of people who I think are fairly transphobic who use the autogynophile label as like a cudgel. They say like you're not you're not really a woman, you're just a man with a fetish, which is you know, genuinely offensive. So so from my point of view, if Rowling is writing something like that, it would be naive to imagine that she's not thinking of, of autogynophilia when she writes it. Totally. I think that she probably was thinking of it. And this is something that she clearly has familiarity with. And she wrote it. So in her open letter that she, um, that she published on her website sometime, I think in maybe June. And, uh, we'll, we like did a whole episode on it. We can, we can link in the show notes if you want more details on that. But she wrote that her issue, she, like her opposition to this gender recognition act in the UK isn't really trans women. It's, she has this, um, maybe unfounded or maybe over uh maybe like hyperactive imagination sort of fear that 
that men, that cis men are going to abuse the system, um, you know, and use it to take advantage of, to take advantage of women. So her, her, so my reading of JK Rowling's stance on this is yeah. that her issue isn't even entirely with trans women. It's with, it's with the idea that this, that people will, that men, that actual men, males who identify as males will like take advantage of, of more like permissive rules about where trans people can be to, to harm women. And she does like, she has yeah. a history. She, she was a battered wife. Um, so and her, this book like is sort of threaded through with with male violence also with female violence but also with male violence um and you can and you know you can sort of see her own if this is if like knowing this about her background you can sort of see, you know sort of pick out the pieces and say like yeah this woman uh she does have some like fears of men um, yeah. and what men are capable of the- yeah, I mean, and so much of the conversation about sort of reforms to the Gender Recognition Act, it's just like a broken conversation in part because under federal law in the UK, trans women already have the right to use those bathrooms. There are these like narrow exceptions where you can just do sex segregated spaces, but there's like it, the, the right already exists. It's just this complicated question of what the process for getting your gender recognition certificate should be. But a lot of trans women and men live happy lives there without even getting that certificate. So I think in many ways, this conversation, like the temperature has gotten higher than it needs to be, but rolling is definitely uh, worried about the possibility that if people can just state, I'm a woman, you know, people will abuse that. And this is an area where like, you will inevitably get some emails from people saying, when I say that I think she overrates that danger, people are always very mad, like, well, you're not a woman, you don't understand what it's like. And I, I just at the end of the day, I don't think a over there, trans women already have the right to use the bathrooms, and you do not see some spate of like men sneaking into women's rooms. And I just I don't think that many men would try to do that and if they're going to do it they already can do that because they of the where where the law already is this is such it's so easy to fall down this this rabbit hole but i think my point in all this is just like clearly she's some of her politics that people don't like appear to be in this detective story yes yes and if she had not come out with this statement about she hadn't if like she hadn't been involved in the turf wars in the first place i think that this would have gone on unnoticed um you know it's not like the idea of like men you know male killers dressing like women is new it's sort of a trope within within crime stories in the first place um so i i don't think that this would have this would have been a big deal if she hadn't sort of had this um had this history but people are looking for reasons to be pissed at her at this point yeah yeah there's gonna be something so okay so you're you're uh verdict having read the book is it's not like people are making stuff up out of nothing which they do sometimes do with sort of like books that are the subjects of moral outrage you just think like in a 900 page book this stuff is like just a sort of small subplot yeah i i don't think the book is transphobic i but i don't think that she's transphobic so that you know my like reading of the book is colored by that experience i don't think that she was naive to what would happen um, when she included these details about this like killer who dresses like woman and masturbates in women's in women's underwear. Although she probably started writing the book many years ago, um, when you know when when this was like not quite as heated an issue in her own personal life. But surely she knew this was gonna was was gonna happen. And I do appreciate that she seems to not give a fuck um, because what's gonna happen? People are gonna burn her books. Well, they gotta buy them first. <laughs> I uh I gotta say like there's so many types of women clothing where it just honestly seems much more comfortable, especially because I have like a weird like lumpy body. Like it's just I wish the gender norms weren't such because I would totally just like well can I wear 
Wear some silky yeah, panties. Well, I don't know about the panties, but like slacks or a you muumuu. Know, uh, can men wear muumuus? Yeah. You can, yeah, you can wear a memo for sure. You know, so I do wear men. I like, I wear men's underwear. I wear men's I thought clothing. you were exclusively um, boys' clothes. Well, okay, there are boys. They are technically boys um, because that's <laughs> the size that I wear. Um, and I do, and I've like, I've used men's bathrooms oftentimes even when there's a urinal because I can sort of get away with it. So maybe I'm the creep. Yeah, you're a pervert sneaking into men's room. If there's a long there? line for a women's bathroom, I will absolutely use a men's bathroom because I like, nobody, <laughs> nobody seems to notice. Um, and, you know, who wants to wait in line? I don't. If I ever see you trying to use one of our bathrooms, I'm going to make a viral incident of it. Like, it's just unacceptable. No, you know what? I think that would actually be good for our reputation because people would just assume that if I'm using a men's bathroom that I'm trans. Oh, yeah. And then you come out as... I mean, it's just the, the men's room is where we have our like most vulnerable conversations, and the idea of a female interloper there just makes me really uncomfortable. You know about sports, sports and stuff. It, that's on. That's on 4chan. That's where you have your most vulnerable <laughs> conversations, and that's how you brought it all around. That was just expert, expert circling. Uh, is expert wrapping expert up? Up wrapping. Yeah. Is that uh, okay? Is that it for? The latest entry in the J.K. Rowling Chronicles. Yeah, I cannot in good. I sort of hate that I'm going to say this because I I do like my my good friend Joe, my close friend Joe. I cannot in good conscience recommend this novel. Didn't you? But you are jumping in into a series that had already started, right? Yeah, but they're standalone, and I had uh, I have read the first one in the series, so it was not. Uh, yeah, I mean you're right. If this if you're like a fan of the Cormoran Strike novels, then yeah, definitely read it. But it is so long, and I was like under a deadline to read it. So maybe if I had been able to like leisurely read this thousand pages, I would have enjoyed it more. Um, but I think that this book should have been like three hundred pages. It's just. It's, it sounds like your problem is more just with reading. It is my problem. There's too many words. I want fewer words. I think reading is dead anyway. It's all about podcasting now. Next time she should just do the audio version and um and skip the book. It's weird to me that instead of page numbers, the lower right of every corner of every page just says non-binary people don't exist. I feel like she. It's <laughs> hard to unpack the message there, but I feel like she's trying to send some political message. Yeah, you know, if you read the um the first the first letter of every line in the book, it spells out Harry Potter and the Goblet of. Trans tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, that's why people are burning this book. Oh, people, yeah, you got to burn some book. Every era needs some book to be burned. But all right, I feel like we, um, I, I really, I get to benefit from this podcast without having actually read the book. So I'm glad you did it for me. I guess I owe you one. You do. You really do. All right. So um, before wrapping up, as always, we would invite you to become a premium subscriber. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash blocked and reported. For five bucks a month, you get three extra episodes of a month. And you can also be part of this awesome, rapidly growing community of more than 3,000 people. I'd say it's the best value ever in the history of media. Would you agree with that, Katie? Uh, actually, I'd say that the best value of media is using the incognito browser to read to read past the paywall. But after that, this is the second best. <laughs> second most valuable so yeah if you if you like what we do uh please consider that you can always email us blocked and reported at G- what's our gmail blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com there we go we're on reddit look us up there twitter at the bar pod katie anything else before we sign off if you have complaints you can write to jesse's personal email address yes please do this has been blocked and reported i'm jesse single and remember we wish mitch mcconnell nothing but good health and good fortune and i'm katie herzog and also remember if you're going to burn your kindle make sure it's fully charged first 